I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. First of all, I'd like to apologize. We missed the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of stuff going on. I had a sore throat and could barely talk last week. But we're back, and, and after a Kansas State win, which is always nice. Right, JT? Oh, it's great. Feels much better. Everything feels much better after a win. Yeah, for sure. And now we've got Farmageddon to look forward to. So we brought on the assistant sports editor of the Des Moines Register, friend of the podcast, Danny Lahan. Danny, how are you? I'm very well, Luke. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, we're recording this on a Chiefs list Sunday, so got some more free time. But Iowa State, you know, I think people were worried about them early. They they played some really close games. They had the loss to Baylor before we knew Baylor was good, and I just threw up my mouth a little bit. But, uh, you know, (laughs) is Iowa State now living up to preseason expectations, do you think, after this whole start? You know, I, I would actually say that the expectations kind of ride squarely on the results Saturday night uh, down in Manhattan. You know, seven and four, the four losses are by a combined 11 points, all of which against uh, teams who are ranked in the top 20. There's no bad loss there, but in three of the four losses, at least, you can look at what Iowa State did or didn't do for a large swath of that game and say that if they even played marginal football, they could have pulled a couple of those out. It's very reasonable to say that this team ought to be 9-2 and two and probably playing for a berth in the Big 12 championship game. So I think there's a tinge of disappointment, you know, looking in the rearview mirror of realizing what could have been. But I think that if you were to, you know, give the fan base up here in, near Ames uh, an 8-4 and four season if they were to win on Saturday, I would imagine that they would have taken that in most respects. But they aren't doing any parades over eight and four like they would have been last year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You have three losses by four points, and then the other one on the seven. So, right. And, that, and, Brock Purdy, and, and Brock Purdy threw three four-quarter interceptions in that seven-point <laughs> loss to Oklahoma State, too. So, I mean, it was a triple gut punch, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, I mean, the Big 12 championship is set, so not the highest of stakes. But, you know, buying for third place, assuming Oklahoma State loses to Oklahoma. and you know, do you think there are some bowl implications at stake as well? For Iowa State, certainly. I mean, I don't know what you guys have been hearing as far as where Kansas State seems to be jockeying. But the conventional thinking up here is that, I mean, especially with another Texas loss yesterday, that kind of mm-hmm. takes them out of the major running, you know, with this triumvirate of Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Camping World Bowl, which is kind of, you know, second on that non-New Year Six pecking order in the Big 12. That would seem pretty reasonable. Uh, Iowa State's developed a 
a, a rather good reputation for travel and kind of invading the cities in which they go. And we're starting to see that be a real leverage point among the bowl committees. If they were to fall to seven and five with a loss, I think you're looking more at the Texas Bowl range. Maybe the Liberty Bowl takes them, you know, if they happen to slide that far, but I don't think it'll be it'll be any worse than that. But to answer your question, I mean, yeah, there's certainly a quality bowl on the line for Iowa State Saturday. Yeah. What do you think, JT? You have any sense of how it looks K State's game? I think I've seen Kellis tweet about all, all these different, you know, bowl hosts or sponsors showing up, but we're pretty much in the same boat as, as Iowa State. Like, you know, a win this weekend and we could be looking at Camping World, you know, a loss and, you know, we may be falling all the way to the, the Cheez It Bowl. They're, you know, whatever name they're giving that that <laughs> second bowl game in Phoenix, you know. But, you know, they've liked us at the Texas Bowl. We brought yeah. a lot of people to that game. I think Liberty Bowl in a winning season would, would actually drive a lot of fans to Memphis. But you know, I, I think most K-State fans are hope, hoping for that Camping World Bowl going to, to Florida for the first time in ever, maybe, for a bowl yeah. game. And I think, you know, that would be a big sell for, for them. I, I bet I bet if you looked at the bowl pre-orders right now, that would be, that one has the most, would have the most of K-State fans wanting to go to that mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would tell you, though, from an outside perspective, I mean, if it ended up being the Liberty Bowl, I don't know if that's as bad of a consolation prize as some people might think as, as in other years. They've tended to go on this little trend of taking the second best American conference team. And this year, I mean, with the way that they've got, you know, stack up with uh, Memphis, Cincinnati, others at the top, I mean, you won't be facing as middling of a quality opponent as, you know, you might in, in some other years. So it could actually be a sneaky good matchup if it ends up, you know, well, I think that way. the Liberty Bowl is actually uh SEC bowl this year. Oh, really? So you'd, you'd have that. Oh, wow. Big 12 versus That's SEC. So you'd, I mean, you'd end up with some mid to lower level SEC team, but and then you'd get the mm-hmm. prestige of beating an SEC team twice yeah. in one year for, you know, for K-State. Yeah. I, I went to Liberty <laughs> Bowl last time K-State played there and they played Arkansas. We don't need to talk about the game, but it was a decent experience, you know. Memphis is nice. Got some good barbecue down there. So, But, yeah, winner of the Camping Bowl, then. That's super – really excitement. <laughs> I mean, they uh, would uh, – yeah, Camping nothing World like, would nothing like, the, nothing like the Orlando slums on December 28th, I can tell you. <laughs> All right. We'd still have uh, Oklahoma State with eight wins, and they could – I think they could pick between yeah. you know, the, either the winner of Farmageddon and, and Oklahoma State, but – I think the winner of Farmageddon is going to bring far more fans to Florida than Oklahoma State will. And to be sure, Oklahoma has shown the capacity to lose that game. So that oh, yeah. change the calculus, too. Right. So. Oklahoma, well, and Oklahoma State was just in the Camping World Bowl um, within the last couple of years. So I, I, I think okay. that they'll try to I think they'll try to avoid repeat there for the most part. OK. okay. Um, yeah, 2017, they were there. Yeah. To get back to Iowa State, though, uh, you know, we talked about the close losses. They also have a a lot of close wins. You know, yesterday being a a pretty good example of a game where I think probably most Iowa State fans felt like they should have won by more. You know, why does this team have so much trouble blowing teams out? Really, the TCU game was the only one that was a kind of a true blowout, right? Yes. I mean, in the wins and the losses, every game has been close. The Texas game two weeks ago was very similar. Iowa State was up 20-7 to early on in the third quarter, and they needed a field goal on the last play of the game to pull that out. 
they had a 12-point lead in the, the second half against Iowa all the way back in the second week in the season. Ended up the, That ended up being one of the games that they lost by a point. Really, I think what it comes down to is the fact that despite Brock Purdy already kind of being more of a household name at the quarterback position in the conference, there aren't that many skill position players left this year that have a whole lot of that killer instinct sort of experience. So a lot of people who are looking at and being dependent upon really for the first time, whether that's someone like Deshante Jones, who's been on the roster for a little while and has had to step up in the starting role, or even a Michael Petway, a transfer from Arkansas, who had really kind of just ridden the pine and, and been in SEC obscurity for a couple of years before transferring up to Ames, uh, or the running back stable that they've run through and with Reese Hall kind of, you know, Wichita's own Reese Hall running into that position over the last three or four weeks. I think there's just some clutch growing pains that are going on. They don't seem to just be able to put the throat on, on, on anybody. Conservative play calling, I think, has a little bit to do with that. And then a defense that I think people are used to being pretty opportunistic and stout over the past couple of years on the when, when they see Iowa State on the opposing side of the field has really just been largely adequate. Adequate against the run, you know, allowing some big plays in third and long situations in the pass game and dropping a heck of a lot of interceptions. We've tallied something like 15 or 16 drops in conference Jeez. play, like legit interception drops uh, since, since the start of league play for Iowa State. So everything just kind of hovers. It's Herm Edwards, Kansas City Chiefs football brought down <laughs> to, the co- to the collegiate level. And trust me, yeah. I think they would like to see a little more killer instincts <laughs> there of what he's showing at Arizona State right now, at least in the upset situation. Yeah. Yeah. So how many of those drops are our Tyron Matthew level drops? Well, I think two of the two of the three, there were three alone in the first half of the Oklahoma game uh, a couple weeks ago that might have made the deficit not so huge uh, when it came yeah. time for their rally. I would say a good like four or five. We're coming near on okay. two hands of them. I mean, it's bad. Wow. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you still got Brock Purdy. You know, he's only a sophomore. But what do you think of his development, and how concerned should K State be? You know, the week after giving up three hundred thirty-four passing yards and fifty-seven rush yards to Jet Duffy. Look, Brock Purdy is the real deal. He will have his one or two throws where you will, you know, question how in the world he is a top 10 statistical quarterback. There was one really horrific uh, example in the Kansas game on Saturday after KU had scored to make it 21-16, very first play out of uh, out of the next offensive possession. Purdy just threw it right into the, you know, not even very outstretched arms of defensive linemen to get a ball tipped about 20 feet up in the air and then intercepted. And you're just like, how in the world did that happen? But the good plays far outweigh the bad. He is especially effective once he starts to roll five to six yards outside the pocket. If he gets more than five seconds to throw, he's going to find somebody. And his favorite target has been tight end Charlie Kohler who might not be a name that anybody really in the Big 12 knows. But if you start looking at all conference teams here in a couple of weeks, I'll bet you he's the first uh, team all Big 12 tight end. He's really been the most off-the-radar surprise for the Cyclones this year. Okay. And then JT, of course, I mean, a big part of that is, is K-State secondary situation. A lot of injuries. You know, A.J. Parker certainly missed. I like the line that that you mentioned that Big E said, I'm going to steal it again. He said, pretty soon we're going to be a circle completely out of corners. You know, how do you think the young guys are doing? You know, for being thrown into the fire so late into the season, you know, I feel like they're doing pretty well. There is some talent there. Uh, guys like like Lance Robinson is a freshman, a redshirt freshman, I think. And, you know, he's got some speed. He's got some skills. 
you know, it's just it's obvious that they're lacking experience. You know, they, they haven't had to play up to this point. And the way they run the outsides, those guys have, have generally been they don't platoon as much in the secondary as they do uh, along the front seven there. So, you know, they're making some mistakes, but you can see that they've got the, you know, the aggressive streak, the ability to recover generally, but they are going to be prone to giving up more big plays now that Mm -hmm. there's so much youth there in the defensive secondary. Yeah. And given those weaknesses, it was nice to see some of the more experienced guys, you know, step up and make big plays. Enzel Gould's being on patent, getting the interceptions. It seems like maybe that's kind of what you need when you can't be consistently good to step up and, and make some game changing plays like that. Helps yeah, and, you know, Goolsby being out there really helps and and being able to see the defense. We're still, you know, Wayne Jones has started basically the whole year and there's mm-hmm. still times that I think he makes freshman mistakes, which is interesting for as much as he's started, but again, it's they've got the talent. It's just a matter of getting the the plays in and knowing where they should be, those instincts that get developed by just playing the game. Yeah. And of course, the other big piece of that is going to be the pass rush. And Wyatt Hubert had another huge game, even though, as you were pointing out, it looks like he was getting held a lot. But I mean, he—he's got to be in the conversation for one of the best defensive linemen in Big Twelve at this point, right? You'd have to think so. I mean, he's—he's he's just a sophomore, but he's—he's he's tearing it up, big guy and fast. Yeah, he—he he gets double teamed a lot which then opens up some of the other guys to get in there. But, you know, he'll be one of those guys that the pool of the NFL will be real strong here come probably next year. And we only may only get to three years out of him. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's a terror. And even, you know, like watch Oklahoma and, and even Baylor had trouble containing him, you know, going up against some of the league's best. And he was still, you know, in the backfield. He's not always maybe making a sack, but he's, you know, creating pressure on the quarterback and forcing that you know movement out of the pocket and that kind of stuff yeah yeah so danny to, to bring that back to you you know how how do you think iowa state's offensive line and, and their tackles in particular will do up against a guy like that you know this is the best offensive line group that matt campbell has put forth in his four years in Ames, but i don't know if that's really saying very much their offensive line had been really the most obvious sticking point and weak spot in the first three years here there's been more continuity this season, which I think has helped, but I wouldn't call it any more than average. The real question is going to be, can anyone chase Brock Purdy down? Because he's tried not to run as much, and so he's more prone to you know, fire passes after he rolls and moves away. But he is that he's almost like a, a uh, I hate to use this comparison almost, knowing what he's become in the NFL, but I mean, there's almost a Patrick Mahomes sort of escapability that Brock Purdy has. He's never going to wow you with his speed, but you always kind of come up wondering how in the world you didn't come up with a sack when he didn't necessarily move that far out of the pocket. He's just sort of that sneaky, elusive sort sort of player. Yeah. And you kind of wonder, you know, a guy like that who, like you said, he's been trying to pass more. Maybe he looks at this game or he gets a, a lot of time to rest afterwards. Maybe he might be more willing to run on some of those. Possibly. He's seeing the long-term, you know, prospects for his health and already his pro potential. I mean, someone's going to draft him when late first or early second round is the way he's, 
you know, yeah. progressing. So I, I don't, I think he's already trying to get it into his head to, you know, take the risk when it makes sense to. And even though this would be the last game of the regular season, I don't think that he's really going to deviate a lot from that plan. The only time that really happened, only two times that's really happened I, that I can think of, uh, were in the two situations in which they found themselves, Iowa State did, in, in their big deficits, down 20 against Baylor, down 21 against Oklahoma State in the fourth quarter. But coincidentally, in both of those, Iowa State either got back within one point or took the lead at some juncture. So he just remains dangerous anytime he has the ball. You can never feel comfortable against him. Yeah. And obviously, the offensive line has done a good job, especially recently, of kind of establishing that ground game. But I'm really curious, you know, how did Brees Hall, as a true freshman, take over that top spot? I think we've heard some David Montgomery comps for him, even. Yeah, which is well, yeah, well, certainly. Um, though Matt Campbell, you know, Matt Campbell knows. Man, Matt Campbell knows running backs. I mean, that that's what's just becoming apparent to me. You go all the way back to Toledo. I mean, we may have even talked about this last year around this time when we were talking about David Montgomery more, and there were Kareem Hunt comparisons. You know, to David Montgomery, which uh, you know Hunt was at Toledo when, uh, before Campbell made the move. I think what you see in Brees Hall is uh, there's more speed. I don't think there had been Montgomery, for example. I don't think you quite yet see the just the durability. The, you know, they're just never going down at first contact. And to that end, he's maybe just a little tentative still. But the development really came around the fourth game of the season. Matt Campbell put an ultimatum up to Brees Hall that said, I didn't really like your practice attitude. I don't like, you know, your in-game awareness in the times that I was giving you the carries. So he threatened to register him, and that sort of alarm bell caused something to go off, and they loved his practice attitude after that. And four or five games ago, you know, he comes in and, and has an immediate breakout performance against Texas Tech, and the rest is almost kind of history from there. He's had 100 yards rushing on three occasions, I believe, and there's no eye-popping yards per carry average, but it's pretty steady. Between four and five, you know, I mean, that, that will be more than enough when you have someone like Purdy uh, back there to put change-ups in the offense uh, at any point. I have to say that they're pretty pleased with the freshman. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And of course, that's, that's particularly painful for Kansas State. Those fans who may not know, he's a Wichita Northwest product. Uh, I think Iowa State was the first to offer him. Kansas State was the second. But JT, you know, could, could K-State have done more to – get this guy to stay home come to Manhattan yeah that was one of the things on the uh on the recruiting message boards on other sites that it's you know pretty well known that that Snyder just did not part of Snyder's problem with recruiting especially the last you know four or five years is he really hated to recruit in season and so they basically spent no time on Brees Hall like they offered him and they wanted him to come to K-State but they just spent zero time. Whereas Matt Campbell, modern recruiting is out there, you know, at his games is calling him every week is, you know, doing those things that recruits want these days. And, you know, I think if K-State had tried even just a little bit harder, he might have been able, when Chris Kleiman came in, he might've been able to sway him to the purple. But by that point, by the time Kleiman was here, and, you know, called him up and said, hey, we, you know, that scholarship's still yours if you want it. You know, he's like, nope, I'm going to Iowa State because I really love those guys now. And you see he's playing well. And like, you know, we said that Matt Campbell obviously knows his running back. So, you know, if you just look at a little bit of history that, that he's had and if you're a running back in this region, you might as well go to Iowa State because good things could probably happen to, for you. Yeah. So now K-State gets to, to face that for maybe four years. 
Right. Fun. <laughs> uh, to look at the other side, um, you know, K-State's running game, it seems like sort of most of the season, the, the offense goes as the running game goes. Yesterday being a little bit of an exception. It's nice to see Skyler, but against a really, really bad Texas Tech pass defense. So take what you will from that. But, you know, maybe some encouraging signs for K-State. KU obviously able to run a lot yesterday against Iowa State. You know, what do you think the Cyclones will do, Danny, to to, to try to stop this Kansas State running game? We certainly have seen a lot of teams loading the box and and blitzing. But what do you expect from Iowa State? The interesting thing about what Iowa State does is that they're pretty confident in their base set, which means throwing, you know, five folks back in the secondary and – basically inviting the small game, but really trying to make it difficult on you to find deeper passing lanes. Then though, you get to that third and long, and they seem to get a little more aggressive, which then ends up burning them. They feel like they need to have more bodies back in the secondary so that they keep everything in front of them. Ray Lima is the best nose tackle in the Big 12 you've probably not heard of. Uh, really eats up two guys worth of space, almost every down. So that's another reason why they don't necessarily play a whole lot of tricky games up front. They know that you're going to get some of your yards and they want to keep you out of the end zone. And they're pretty inflexible when it comes to, you know, adjusting to others' offensive strengths. Sometimes that's to their detriment, but they're going to kind of wait and see that it slaps them in the face for a half before they really give in to adjusting to you on the offensive side of the ball, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's interesting you talk about the third downs because, I, I mean, I would say Skyler and then the play calling has been at its best often in those third down situations done well. You know, yesterday we saw a little bit more. We saw the Malik Knowles running was nice. But, JT, would you like to see this offense get a little more creative with the run game? You know, oh, definitely. Than- and I think we saw that happening last night with those jet sweeps and it wasn't just Knowles we had Youngblood took a couple of those mm-hmm. too you know just I think part of the problem is that like the top level running backs are just all banged up in some fashion nobody's at 100 percent I wouldn't say anybody's above about 75 percent right now with all the injuries and so then you're you're stuck with Harry Trotter who's you know a, a solid back you know that workhorse kind of guy but he's not going to be beating power five defenses like he did you know against Kansas and then there's just a bunch of youth there. I mean, Kleiman came in with with zero scholarship running backs on the roster. I mean, that's, you know, a point that gets brought up all the time. But it's, you know, you're seeing it right now that you had your top level guys, the grad transfers that came in and were, were tearing it up to start the season, even against Oklahoma, when I think they were they were all around probably 80 to 90 percent healthy. And now we're just they're just so beat up that even those you know, traditional plays are getting stuck so much more quickly because of how beat up they are. So yeah, I'd I'd like to see them, those jet sweeps, getting a guy like Josh Youngblood in a more traditional running back role. I'd love to see them hand the ball off to Jackson Ean and Mason Barta, the, the big fullbacks and, you know, see what they can do. And I think, you know, for this offense to be successful, Skyler's got to get a few carries. He's got to be comfortable running. I don't think he felt comfortable running against West Virginia, at least at times. He did and then got his bell rung there at the end. Tech is the same way. Like he kind of reverted to that Oklahoma State form where he's scrambling in the pocket. He's he's running laterally, trying to extend a passing play when he really just needs to tuck the ball and run forward and get, you know, four or five yards. 
you know, on a broken passing play. And he did that so well against Oklahoma. He did it well against KU, but he hasn't done it the last two or three weeks. And, and then you know, see what happens. Then when he actually does it there at that third and long late in the game, and he picks up a critical first down uh, with his legs on a broken play, he just tucked it and ran forward and got the first down. Yeah, that was huge. Um, and I think it's going to be plays like that that are going to be, you know, the deciding factor for the K-State running game against Iowa State. A traditional running game is going to get a few yards, but it hasn't been effective. It's got to come out of out of Skyler and in non-traditional rushing places, sweeps and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I totally agree with what you said about Harry Trotter. You know, he's working hard, but he's he's not going to break any big plays. He's not going to juke anybody out of their shoes. And I think it was a, the perfect contrast to see him go against KU's defense and then the following week go up against the athletes of Texas's defense and just to, to see the difference there. Yeah. He's he's a great guy. Like, I don't want to knock anybody on the team. I, I yeah. feel like I, that happens sometimes. But, you know, he's not a top-level Power 5 running back. He's a good backup, and it'd be great, you know, kind of a change of pace back. But yeah. to try to have him carry the load against, you know, the Texases and the Oklahomas of the world is just not going to be a recipe for success. Yeah. I will say the most encouraging thing to me for the Kansas State offense yesterday was – Sebastian Taylor finally showed up. You know, he's a guy we've talked about that has all the measurables, but, you know, people were almost giving up on him because he's been even barely getting on the field. But, you know, maybe a little flicker of hope with three catches for 74 yards, a nice touchdown that he had. Yeah, he. Uh, it looked like they tried to get him into the game plan a lot more. Uh, there were a couple of plays, you know, that Skyler threw the ball at him, and either it was, you know, broken up or it was a bad throw and Skylar had quite a few of those last night, but yeah, it looks like they're finally trying to get him worked more in the offense. He's got the big size and he's clearly got some speed. Yeah. I don't know, you know, what's been keeping him off the field for so long. And, you know, it, it seems like he's been around for a while, but he's only a sophomore. I mean, he's a redshirt sophomore. So, I mean, he's been around for three years now, but I think he was the kind of guy that most fans expected to just pop right in and be, you know, a number one, number two kind of receiver right out of the bat. And just, I think it's taken him longer to develop in the college game than most fans expected. Right. He's still got a lot of football ahead of him. I think, you know, he could be, he could still turn into that player we are all expecting. It may just take, you know, a half a year longer than we, when we all hoped. Yeah. And speaking of game-breaking receivers, Iowa State's, you know, got their own guy, Danny, you alluded to him earlier, Deshante Jones. He's maybe not quite the level of like a Denzel Mims or a CeeDee Lamb, but, you know, he's fifth in the Big 12 in receiving. And the one thing he did, I guess, hurt his shoulder left in the fourth quarter of the game against KU. So just, you know, anything about his status and how much would that hurt the offense if he's unable to go? Uh, I mean, it would certainly be it would certainly be a setback. Again, everything still runs through Brock Purdy. It's not like last year where I think Purdy had the security blanket that was Hakeem Butler, you know, to really bail him out of any situation. As we're recording this on Sunday, the latest news coming out for Deshante Jones was that they were going to evaluate him through the week, light practice. Matt Campbell didn't seem that overly concerned, so I would imagine that you count on him playing until we hear otherwise but you know i mean with another day of rest could become another day of residual pain so i think it's just one of those status to monitor things uh as as the week goes deshante jones's biggest threat 
isn't really so much in the vertical route. It's the mid-range 15 to 20-yard area in which you give him a little more separation in the middle of the field than you ought to in the secondary. And then he's able to turn on one quick move and then just juke his way and off to the race as he goes. If you're looking for other receiving threats, Tariq Milton is probably the next closest. And then again, as I was mentioning before, Charlie Kohler, uh, the tight end, is kind of Brock Purdy's new favorite go-to target. So despite the prodigious talent that's there, uh, it isn't always the deep ball that's doing it for Iowa State these days. It's really kind of those moderate chunk plays that all of a sudden you're looking and four, within four plays you've gone from the 25 to within the red zone. So it's kind of the steady quick strike offense as opposed to the, the home run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, JT, we know that the secondary uh, maybe has had some issues tackling guys who can catch and run. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, it, it could be real interesting. And, you know, it kind of comes and goes. And sometimes they'll go through a four series and they look great. And then mm-hmm. they'll give up a couple big plays in a row and get right back out of it. So, you know, if they can keep putting good plays together, mm-hmm. I think they'll be okay for the most part. They're going to struggle against a good pass catching tight end. That's for sure. There's not a lot of size in that in the K State secondary. So, you know, expect Iowa State's tight end to have probably another big game catching. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So before, Danny, before we ask you to make a prediction here, just let's zoom out a couple of things. I mean, it seems like the sophomore quarterback, a freshman running back, and I would say it's still on, on the come up. People pretty much loving Matt Campbell right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- despite the fact that this has been a, a season that is only probably going to meet the, I don't want to say the minimum, but meet average expectations, the long-term value of Campbell is still very high. I mean, there's always that fear when you're in Ames that, you know, the, that every job that becomes open is going to be one at which Folks will immediately speculate to put Matt Campbell in the front uh, runner seat for Florida State's just the latest one of those. But, you know, he signed multiple extensions already. He really seems to be buying into the whole program and culture. If you ask me, the type of job that Matt Campbell is going to leave for is either going to be a mega job, a true mega job that comes open and a current one, not a, you know, erstwhile or yesteryear big job like down in Tallahassee. Or an NFL job. I mean, he's got the NFL. He's got the NFL mindset. If there's one area where I think fans would want to see him grow as a coach, it goes a little bit more into putting that. It's the same thing that the uh, that the team itself is going through right now. It's these growing pains of really putting the foot down on the throat when you have two score leads in the second half and not making every sort of game a a, a cardiac situation. <laughs> but we know what, what we all know. I mean, with Farmageddon this week, I don't really think that that's <laughs> That's not the week that that sort of situation is going to turn around because crazy is the norm, as we all know. Right. right. Let's say from an outsider's perspective, Matt Campbell seems like a very Iowa State kind of guy. And and like you said, I 
he doesn't, you know, seem like the guy that's going to be chasing bucks around. He's, you know, he likes, seems like he likes the job, at least from everything I've seen, you know, it seems like he, he likes where he's at and the kind of things he can do with a big 12 team. And yeah, I don't, I really don't see him going to Florida state of all places. He seems much more like yeah. a, a Northern kind of guy. And those are the kind of jobs he's looking for. Yeah. Well, and he's a, he's, same he's thing a when, savvy. He's a savvy guy too, is the thing. I mean, he knows that he's walking on water up here compared with what you know a lot of the coaches that have come before. And if you're succeeding at a level of which you're on the fringe of the rankings, and and and, and this has been two years in a row that they're you know in the top twenty five of the college football playoffs going into the last weekend of the regular season, I, if you're able to do that twice in four years at a place like Iowa State which was so moribund at the end of the Paul Rhodes era and really has been for almost the entirety of most of our millennial livelihood. Why would you leave? You've got it great. You know, you're going to have the pick. If, if he really is the favorite in a lot of these jobs, he's clearly going to have the pick of, of a couple of good ones down the line. So he can afford to be picky and choosy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And obviously, you know, he hasn't, said anything about Florida State. Is there any evidence that they even have him on their list or reached, much less reached out to him at this point? I mean, not that, not that we've heard. Let's yeah. just say that the rumblings to several places last year were a lot more substantive, uh, at least in what we're hearing right now. The NFL mm-hmm. bites and nibbles had a lot more realistic ties to them than anything we're hearing at this point. And frankly, yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise that the, the way Florida State's job came open with so many weeks left in the season. I mean, these are the sort of conversations that you have in December, not in late October and sure. early November. So it wouldn't surprise me that nobody's reached out, you know, or, or, or anything like that yet. Yeah. So, JT, I don't know if you've got any more football questions. I do have just a couple of random Iowa State-related questions I wanted to ask. No, I'm good. Okay. So, first of all, you know, there was some eyebrows raised to see that Fred Hoiberg started his career in Nebraska with losses to UC Riverside and Southern Utah. What do you make of that? Is Nebraska ball so bad that even Fred Hoiberg can't turn things around? Or are we freaking <laughs> out too early? Uh, I mean, I think you're freaking out a little bit too early. I also think, though, that people really underestimated the difficulty of winning basketball games in Lincoln. It was like winning football games in Manhattan before Bill Snyder got there. It's been like winning football games in Ames, Iowa for the past 20 years before Matt Campbell got there. I'd be a lot more worried next year. But people looked at the Fred Hoiberg name and wanted to assume that because of his transfer culture that he established while at Iowa State, that it was just going to be waving a magic wand. And uh, I, I think there was a very cold and bitter reality, at least for that first season within Lincoln. Well, I tell you what, what I am surprised more about here is there people are enjoying that a little more than I thought they would. <laughs> you know, Fred Hoiberg has always, you know, he's the mayor for a reason. And so everyone still loves him. But I think that there is a definite, there's definitely a little part of Iowa State fans' hearts that feel hurt, maybe not betrayed, but certainly hurt and disappointed that Fred Hoiberg would return to the collegiate game so quickly and do it in a place that's, you know, basically right next door, albeit in a different conference. It's a border state. I think they would have pulled, it would have been much more palatable to have him at a place like UCLA, you know, or something like that, as opposed to one where they're going to hear about it all the time. Yeah. You know, I think part of Hoiberg's mystique there is, I mean, he came into an Iowa state program that wasn't exactly terrible. I mean, Greg McDermott had, you know, some decent teams up there. It, it's not like he left the cupboard bare, whereas you got to go in Nebraska and you basically have to 
build that program up from scratch. And that's going to take a lot of work, no matter who you are. I mean, you could take Mike Krzyzewski and drop him in at Nebraska, and he's probably not going to win a lot of games his first year. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, and so the other thing to, to switch sports again, and maybe most people haven't noticed, but I was. I think this is very, knowing knowing what you prepped me for on this. I'm just going to give a little spoiler alert that I think almost everyone hasn't noticed. But you go ahead. I'll entertain you. <laughs> yeah. So Iowa State yesterday had a individual national cross country champion. They took fourth overall as a team. They've won three straight Big Twelve titles. So how has how they built a cross country powerhouse in Ames, Iowa? I think I would just turn the question right about back on you. How in the hell has Iowa State built a big full cross country powerhouse? I have no idea. I really don't. And and, and it's it's probably too bad, you know, that that we don't, you know, in this modern, nobody really wants to hear the media talk about the media. But in an age of you know dwindling staff and there's sort of hyper focused fandom, but it really is on the the sports that matter that matter more than the others, the ones that bring in the highest revenue. And so we've all probably not done a very good job of, of paying attention to what Iowa State has done, you know, in the fall running sports. But if anything, I would probably tell you that Jamie Pollard, the Iowa State athletic director, used to be a cross country runner himself. Uh, his children are, you know, quite gifted distance runners as well. So he probably pays attention to it more than most athletic directors do. There's a special spot in his heart for it. And I mean, that can't count for everything because he's not the coach, but I have yeah. to imagine that that has to count for something. But honestly, that's the best out of my rear end answer I could possibly <laughs> give you on that one. Yeah. And just, just to give Iowa State some more credit, it's not just a matter of, you know, throwing some money at it and you'll be the only team in the conference that cares because they had to knock off, you know, nine time Big 12 champion Oklahoma State where they won two national titles because they've got and Pickens money they can just kind of oh yeah we have this sport too let's here have some so that's uh it's good work by the cyclones so with that let's turn back danny um it's prediction time like you said this is farmageddon so you know crazy scenarios are encouraged oh god i i i don't <laughs> even i don't even want to know i mean now that the game the game's a night game again as we found out with a kickoff time uh late saturday night that it's, it's a six o'clock start I mean, they're real. I mean, forget the craziness. I mean, there are real stakes here, as we were talking about before. Every Iowa State game, it seems like, within these past six weeks has been close. I'd be a fool with that recent history and then also just the serious history. Not to say that if this game doesn't come down to the final drive, I'll be extremely surprised. I'll say Iowa State pulls out a 31-27 win. But you could flip that score the other way, and I wouldn't even argue with you for a second. The sports gambling is legal up here in Iowa since August, <laughs> and I would tell you that this would be one of the five games that I would just run the hell away from because yeah. <laughs> you're bound to you're bound to pull all your hair out trying to figure out a, a, a line or anything on this game. No way. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> JT, how's the last possession for this game going to end? No, I was thinking more of a, like a double overtime affair just because <laughs> and with some like bizarre score like 39 to 38 where, you know, one of the two teams went for, you know, the two point conversion to end the thing and and the other didn't. So I, I think K-State pulls this one out at home, but it's going to be dirty and nasty and close. And we're all going to be scratching our heads after the game wondering what the crap just happened. Yeah, what's the weather going to be like? Um, I think it's supposed to be nice, like as far as late November in Manhattan, Kansas, 
okay. is concerned. Okay. Um, I haven't checked the you know the extended forecast, but last I heard, it was supposed to be fairly decent. Mm-hmm. But you know, it'll, by then it'll be dark, and so all bets are off at that point. Yeah, yeah. A, a very cursory look at says high in the low 40s with occasional showers. So oh, I mean, okay. nah. <laughs> it won't be stupid uh, cold. Yeah, but it's no, not gonna no, be great. The low, the, no, the low right now is twenty nine, which is which. There's two digits in the temperature. <laughs> that's 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 good. That's a win. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and Danny, you're planning on attending, right? Yes. Normally, my job uh, has me in the office um, most of the time, but uh, with Iowa State also in the Battle for Atlantis tournament in the Bahamas, one of our two uh, columnists and reporters for Iowa State is going to be otherwise occupied so uh with family in the Kansas City area I will be doing some uh, pinch hitting come Saturday night so I will be at the Snyder Family Stadium uh ready for the crazy as you said okay so you get to go to Manhattan he has to go to the Bahamas you're definitely winning that one right uh no (laughs) (laughs) so last thing uh since you are going to Manhattan then and know that you will be judged by this so answer carefully but what's the best place to eat and best place to, to grab a drink in Aggieville uh well now i'm gonna i'm now my definition of what exactly is aggieville has okay. uh, probably gotten a little fuzzier over the years but i do have an uncle and an aunt who live in uh manhattan I, the uncle is actually a member of athletic department administration so folks can do some little sleuthing there if uh, they want and see <laughs> if they can find a connection uh it might be able to be pretty difficult but it's a somewhat prominent member of, uh, of the athletic department. But my aunt has been one of the assistant managers at oh, the old Rusty's Last Chance Saloon and then Kite Bar and Grill. So out of family allegiances, I don't even care where the location of that is necessarily related <laughs> to Aggieville. That's my answer. And there's probably uh, there's probably no arguing that one for me. Yeah, that definitely counts as Aggieville. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, Kites is, Kites is right in the heart of Aggieville yeah. still, so. Okay, I yeah. thought I thought so, but I didn't really want to say that and then really come off like a fool. So you always say that. So we're, we're, <laughs> right. we're good. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the record, I would say cocoa bolos for food and animes for drinks. That'd be my choice. I'm going so long every time. Okay, so long, salute. Solid choice. <laughs> All right, I think that about wraps it up, Danny. As always, we appreciate it. You know, people can read your stuff on the Dwayne Register or. You know, the stuff you edit and the stuff you write. And then how can I follow you on Twitter? At Danny Lahan, last name L-A-W-H-O-N. Pretty simple. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. Happy Thanksgiving. Yep, you bet. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Mm -hmm. For sure. Luke Thompson. So, yeah.